0: Well, good morning and welcome to College Hill Presbyterian Church online. Uh, as you just heard, we are in 1st Thessalonians. Uh we're got a large passage this morning, chapter 2 starting in verse 17 going all the way to chapter 3:13. And what we're talking about this morning is hope. Uh that's the name of the sermon series. Uh, it's extremely appropriate for the time we're living through. And this morning we're talking about hope for tomorrow, hope for the future. Uh, whether that's later this week or uh, many many years in the future. And so the question that I have for you this morning is what is it that stands in the way of our hope? And we're going to consider a few things, examples from Paul's passage that we just read but one of the underlying currents both in his passage and in our uh, world today is this idea of cynicism. Now you may have heard that word before. You may even be able to parse it back to its Greek origins. Uh, but I'll give you a crash course in modern cynicism. And this comes from a book that I would highly recommend called Seeing Through Cynicism by Dick Kyes, K-E-Y-E-S. And he says it this way. Cynicism, as we use the word today has to do with seeing through and unmasking positive appearances to reveal the more basic underlying motivations of greed, power, lust, and selfishness. It says that every respectable public agenda has a hidden private agenda behind it that is less noble, flattering, and moral. Is this idea dangerous, destructive, and misguided? Or is it shrewd, courageous, and truthful, the last stopping place of the honest mind? And as he goes through his book, he starts to unpack what cynicism, what that seeing through things does uh, to you as a person, to me, as a person, to us as a society. Uh, and he says that cynicism is so prominent in our culture that everyone experiences it about something. Now, cynicism, at its base, is a reaction to at least the perception of someone or someone's being too naive. Now but the funny thing about it is is that most of us can be cynical and naive at the same time about different things. Uh now there are um, Christians who uh are uh, very positive, very upbeat, very ready to believe anything about other Christians, about people who say that they're Christians, yet almost anything that comes from the culture that isn't Christian, they uh, are skeptical of the motives. They can see through it and see how it's a power play to try to overthrow the church or overthrow Christians. And so they are uh, honest or maybe even naive about Christianity, but they are cynical about the world and the culture. And there are atheists, of course, which are very welcoming and loving of other atheists or non-believers, but they're very cynical about Christianity and religion. They believe that every time the church takes an action that there's some secret darker motive lying behind it. Or since we're in 2020, which is an election year, you'll find that Republicans can be naive about their own agenda and cynical about Democrats. And Democrats can be naive about their own agendas and cynical about Republicans. You will see this over and over and over again, and you will hear it on news channels and coverage of uh, each candidate, both sides, any side of any party. There will be someone claiming that they can see through what the candidate is saying to their secret, hidden, dark, and misguided agenda. Now, there's cynicism about Government, about media, about people of other races, other cultures, other political parties, and Dick Kaes, the author of the book, suggests that almost everyone experiences cynicism toward individual people, family, or institutions in government. but he tells us this uh, that we already know on some level is that it 's not healthy that it 's not productive, and as a Christian author, he tells us that this is not a Christian way to live, this is not a god honoring lifestyle it is not how the bible instructs us to think about our world to think about other people certainly not how we ought to love other people and the trick for us is uh as he says it is that we don't think to question it when it's all around us just as we don't see our eyeglasses we only see everything else through them And that's how pervasive he says it is cynicism which blocks our hope is so pervasive that it's like the eyeglasses that we're all wearing We see everything else through that lens uh, And we are unable to see the lens itself now many of us Claim that we have hope in jesus when it comes to our religion But other areas of our life are plagued by cynicism of our day of our culture of the world around us And so we may be willing to express hope and sincerity in our faith, but when it comes to our political lives, when it comes to our work lives, when it comes to our relationships with friends and neighbors and family, we have this tendency to be kind of shrewd and estimating and this overconfidence in our own ability to see through uh, to the real motives and the real purpose there. But what we want to get to this morning and what we'll see uh, again as we unpack the scripture is that our hope for the future does not need to deny present struggles. Uh, so what we're saying is that hope is not simply the opposite of cynicism. There's, it's, there's much more to it. Uh, our hope does not need to deny present struggles, but rather it is anchored in the actions, the character, and the power of God. Uh, as we turn to go through our scripture again, I would just invite you to join me in prayer. Father God, we thank you uh, this morning for the gift of your written word. We pray now that you would use it to be a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path, that you would lead us in the path of your wisdom, that you would shine through the cracks of our situation in our lives uh, and give us that light of hope uh, and the hope that Paul sees in his circumstances that we would be able to see in our circumstances uh, as we go forward throughout our weeks. We ask all this in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen. Now, the first thing that I want to point out in our Scripture this morning is that in chapter 2, verses 17 to 20, uh, we see this attitude, specifically in 17 and 18, is that Paul finds hope in circumstances beyond his control. He says it this way, But since we were torn away from you, brothers uh, and sisters, now, that torn away literally means orphaned. So I'm actually just going to read it again like that. But since we were orphaned from you, brothers and sisters, for a short time, in person, not in heart, we endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face because we wanted to come to you. Now, there's a commentator who says it this way. He says it was not a lack of interest or concern that prevented Paul and his companions from staying longer with their Thessalonian friends or going back to see them, it was circumstances over which they had no control. End quote. And so what we are all experiencing right now is what it's like to live in situations beyond our control. Now, Paul has a particular attitude about this, but what we're doing, what I'm doing right now, recording this on a Wednesday night for uh, a service on Sunday, is what we're calling a uh, virtual church. And what, that's what you're experiencing right now as you sit at home in bed or on your couch on Sunday morning and watch this. But there isn't really any such thing as virtual church. What we're doing is a virtual sermon. And, uh, tomorrow night we're gonna record some virtual songs and we're gonna put it together to try to create a virtual worship service, but church is made of people. It is made of our community of believers, our interactions with one another, and there is no way to fully virtualize that. And so, you know, and if you could, that's, Paul sends, uh, Timothy to the Thessalonians to hear how they are doing and, And correspond with them, and technically that was in the same way kind of what we're trying to do That's virtual interaction with other people But you see here his longing to be with them face to face and so you may be able to realize that And so while we can virtualize a song or a sermon we cannot virtualize community And that's why as a church. We normally don't offer videos of our services on our website now some people think that they can get church just by watching it from a safe distance at home. But the church is a movement, the church is a mission, and the church is a community. It is not a spectator sport, and that's why virtualizing church for us is only a temporary fix. And I think even further, we're doing people a disservice. If we let them believe that they can be fully participating in what it means to be the church by watching our services on a video. Now, we're thankful for the technology. We're glad to have the ability to do that. But we do not want to sell the Church of Jesus Christ short. And so we are not uh, looking to that as a permanent solution. But we feel Paul's frustration with the circumstance in this verse. And many of us can relate. For example, this week, is it's May 3rd. It's the first Sunday of the month. Most of you would be used to taking communion. I'm used to serving communion on the first Sunday of every month. But as Drew said last month, we're not going to do that virtually. We're going to wait until we are together again. And it's a way of lamenting the absence of being a real church community together. And we heard stories this week of some people who were moved to tears by the slideshow at the end of the service last week, where we put up pictures of people watching church in their homes, uh, and we felt that sense of, uh, we remembered the faces, it was great to see everyone, but there was this sense of being separated, about being torn away uh, from one another, which is what Paul is lamenting here in 2.17 and 18. And yet, in light of all of this, uh, all of these situations beyond his control, Paul's letter is not shadowed in doom and gloom. There's this underlying sense of hope uh, throughout everything that he says in the letter and even in this passage. He's lamenting and at the same time has hope. And so at the very least, we learn that hope and lament are not uh, enemies, but sometimes can go hand in hand. And this is not a forced optimism either from Paul. He is looking down the situation very realistically. He's not sentimentalizing it. Uh, he is being very honest about the situation. He's not forcing himself to be uh, upbeat and positive optimistic. Yet there is this something underneath which we call hope that we need to explore more deeply. And so that's the first thing I want to call your attention to is that uh, both Paul sees hope in circumstances that are beyond his control. And hopefully each of us is now starting to see uh, that hope can emerge even in circumstances beyond our control. In fact, uh, if anything, the coronavirus COVID-19 situation has just reminded us how little control we have. Uh, many of us, uh, we we heard about this in the last sermon series. Drew did a wonderful sermon on it. Uh, if you have time during the week, it would be good to go back and listen to that sermon uh, on the emptiness of control and political power. But the the next thing I want to call your attention to is that hope in god works despite obstacles so hope uh, is beyond uh, hope in circumstances beyond our control and then hope uh, in god working despite the obstacles that we can see now in in this passage 219 to 30 and um uh 3 verse 6 which uh, we read earlier we'll see that paul Uh, He shares with them, very honestly, that he was concerned that when the Thessalonian church faced suffering and persecution, that it would result in the Thessalonians' faith decreasing. And so he sends Timothy to check up on them, and he delights to find that their faith is still going strong. Several times in this passage, we see Paul say things like, For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. And again, he says, For what thanksgiving can we return to God for you? For all the joy that we feel for your sake before our God. Now, some have pointed to uh, Paul's work in Galatians uh, chapter 6, verse 14, where he resolves not to, quote, glory in anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. But here's uh, what a commentator has to say about this. He says, Paul's glorifying in his converts uh, as he saw the grace of God manifested in them was but a phase of his paramount glorifying in the cross. They were the fruit of the preaching of the gospel, uh, the fruit of the preaching of the cross. Christ crucified was demonstrated afresh by their faith to be the power and wisdom of God. And so for us, we need to remember that we can celebrate others' testimonies as we've been doing throughout the sermon series. We hear the stories of God working in other people's lives. That is a good thing. We are encouraged to share our stories with other people. But what we are called back to by Paul, even by Paul's example is here, is yes and amen. Celebrate that. But always under the banner of celebrating the work of God, the love of God, the work of Jesus Christ, and the fellowship provided by the Holy Spirit. And so, as you think about stories that you've heard from other people, faith stories, testimonies, whatever you want to call them, uh, ask yourself this question, especially as you reflect on your own story, uh, is what themes emerge? W- would someone who heard your story for the first time see your gratefulness towards God, or are you trying to impress them with your spiritual power? That can be true, even in the way that you use language, even if you're not trying to impress someone with your holiness, your spiritual power, we can use jargon, things that are familiar to fellow Christians, people who read the Bible, uh, and it can be well-intentioned even, but it can become a barrier and people will not be able to hear what we're saying. They will not, uh, hear that, see that glory reflected, uh, in our story. And this is why if you continue to read Paul throughout the New Testament, Paul goes out of his way in order to be understood by whichever group he is speaking with, because his goal is to point them back to God rather than to himself. So he doesn't try to impress anyone with lofty speech, which he's a highly educated man. He's incredibly capable of impressing us uh, with fancy language, with theological terms, uh, with the languages that he knew, but instead he tries to speak to his audience, wherever he is. And so as you look to share your story, you want to say, uh, you know, there are these obstacles to our hope, uh, but they can be overcome both by the encouragement received by others and the reminders of the work of God. And uh, even as Paul, he's, see, he had this little bit of skepticism creep into his own belief. He watched these Thessalonians come to faith in Jesus Christ himself. He preached to them. They came to faith. He left. He heard about persecution and suffering, and he worried, uh, well, maybe it was just a temporary conversion. Maybe they just got caught up in the moment. Uh, maybe they'll fall away when things get hard. And so now he doesn't ignore that. He doesn't say, well, I just have to put a positive spin on it and just assume the best will happen. No, he actually looks into it. He sends Timothy to go investigate and finds out that there is reason for hope because of the power of God. And it causes all parties involved to rejoice and have their faith and hope renewed and restored. And finally, Paul has hope despite his reasons for cynicism. Now, if anyone had reason for cynicism, it would be Paul. Most of his letters are written from jail. And not uh, not like the soft cushiony overnight jails i don 't know where those are, uh, but uh, the first century jails were much less pleasant than jail i don 't want to go to jail now, but it 's much less pleasant in the first century now, given that hope is our theme for the entire sermon series, I want to talk a little bit more about what hope is, and so Paul shows us that he has this hope despite the many reasons in his life for. Uh, cynicism many openings he could be cynical about the roman government he could be cynical about the jewish leaders he could be cynical about early christians there are many many instances if you go through his life but instead what we see is hope now for many hope just means optimism but i'm going to quote again from the author dick kyes who wrote the book seeing through cynicism and he says this he says hope is not optimism Christian hope is having a good reason to believe that a better future is coming. Hope is not optimism, which is often a matter of having a more buoyant temperament than most, or having a willingness to ignore what is tragic when it gets in the way of good feelings about yourself. Now, if Paul was that type of optimist where he says, you know, I'm just going to ignore anything tragic, anything uncomfortable, we're just going to sweep that under the rug because that gets in the way of my good feelings, uh, first of all, he would have had a very difficult life. It would have been extremely hard for him to be that type of optimist. But instead, what he is filled with is hope. If Paul were naive or delusionally optimistic, he would not have sent Timothy to check on the Thessalonian Christians. He would have just assumed that everything was great. Uh, But that's not what we see in chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. He wants to look reality in the face honestly and deal with whatever is there because of the hope that lies underneath him. Now, Dick Kyes also says this. He says, Christian hope is tied entirely to its anchor, God. Christian hope and suspicion are interdependent. Without an informed mistrust, hope is sure to be naive. Hope is solid because it has looked grim possibilities in the face. Now, one of the illustrations that Dick Kyes uses that I thought was fascinating was marriage vows. He said, if you look at marriage vows, they are considered romantic. Uh, they're considered uh, a hopeful thing. They hope for a good marriage. But they don't do this by pretending like everything will be great and easy. In fact, they do it by looking what, what he calls the grim possibilities in the face. It talks about in sickness and in death and for richer or for poorer. And it says uh, the hope for this marriage is built on looking reality in the face, not giving us the best possible version of reality, not trying to put a spin on it. And we look at a cynical world uh, that would, uh, even back in Paul's day, a cynical world would have looked at the Thessalonian faith and say, uh, you know, they were caught up in the moment. They were tricked. They were on kind of a spiritual high because Paul was such a charismatic speaker uh, or their friends and their families were doing it. But after persecution uh, and suffering, their faith remained, which is not what would happen if the cynic were true. But the cynic claims to be able to see through other people's actions, other people's motives. And so uh, a commentator says this. He says, The Thessalonians' conversion was no momentary response to the gospel. It was a real turning which brought the grace and power of of his spirit into their lives and enabled them to stand firm in the face of opposition. For Paul, this helps him remain sure in his hope and spurs him on to greater faith and greater work. And so, as we conclude this morning, I, I want to remind you that Paul had every reason... cynicism. He was in a situation that was hopelessly beyond his control, yet he maintained hope for his fellow Christians. Uh, He was in a situation where he uh, saw many, many obstacles to people coming to faith in Christ, and persecution and suffering among them. Uh, And yet he has reason for hope, and he sees many, many reasons to become cynical, to see through the actions of other people, to see through the actions of individuals and governments and families and people who claim to be Christians and people who aren't yet Christians. Uh, And he sees all of this in the world, and yet what he resolves to do is to hope because hope, Christian hope, is entirely tied to its anchor, which is God himself. And so if our faith is in God, then our anchor for hope for tomorrow is secure. Our hope now, our hope in the past, and our hope in the future is all tied to the person that God has shown himself to be. And that's what we do when we read scripture. We hear the stories of God's love and faithfulness and grace and mercy to people who, in in so many ways, are just like us. And that spurs us on to greater hope, not just the hope that we see uh, in the stories that we share with one another, but the uh, the stories of hope that are written down throughout the ages. And once again, the Bible is not... A book of optimism. It's not that kind of self-help book. It deals with grim realities. It has murder and genocide and all kinds of horrific realities. Everything imaginable, everything that we struggle with and suffer through is located in God's Word, and yet the underlying theme of the story is hope. And as, as you consider how you look out at the world, how you interact with other people, with other institutions. Uh, I want to remind you how easy it is to try on those eyeglasses of cynicism, to not even realize that you are seeing everything through this lens, and that it's even, in our culture, appealing. Now, this is the last time I'll quote him, but Dick Kai says this. He says, Cynicism presents itself to our society with three very attractive promises. It promises sophisticated enlightenment, guaranteed honesty and self-protection. Now, he goes on throughout his book, which, once again, I would highly recommend, to show that it fails to deliver on all three promises. See, cynicism doesn't stand up to its own test. It does not offer sophisticated enlightenment. It does not offer guaranteed honesty and uh, any self-protection that you think it may offer by becoming that shrewd and callous and seeing through other people in the world. He says that might get you through for a day, but that will not last. That outlook, that lens, that filter through on the world will not get you through a lifetime. And for us, the remedy is hope, but not a vague optimism where we just decide to have a sunny disposition every day regardless of the situation, and certainly not a chest-beating triumphalism. Rather, a sure and certain hope in the work of Jesus Christ on the cross, the love of God the Father, and the sustaining power of the Holy Spirit. And so the challenge for you is, as you go through this week, how do you turn every situation into an opportunity for hope? By turning it to God. Now, And that's the only way that a Christian can turn a situation to hope. But this means that you're not called to just be... Uh, hopeful about your relationship with god your uh, eternal salvation or anything like that but within every department of life every sphere of life as you find yourself either watching on facebook or youtube uh, the comment sections of both websites are riddled with cynicism and bait uh, for you to get drawn in and i would encourage you as you go through your news feed your twitter feed whatever it is throughout the week one, resist the temptation. When you see other people commenting and you think that is just utter foolishness or they're posting that for this reason, that's cynicism. Even if you think you're defending a just and righteous cause, you are claiming to see through someone else's actions and understand their behavior as deeply or more deeply than they do. And that is not the kind of person that God calls you to be. Now, uh, and... And by turning that situation over to God, you, you can realize in light of how God has called me to live, how God has rescued me despite once being an enemy of God, once being a sinner uh, who's separated from him, uh, God's hope is much bigger than any problems of this world. And this is not about just finding the silver lining. This is about the eternal uh, promises of God and the actions and character of a loving God and Father. Now in Thessalonians, and particularly in this passage, we can see how despite circumstances beyond control, despite frustration, suffering, persecution, despite conventional wisdom of the day, Paul finds reason for hope, he clings to it, and he proclaims it to us. Would you please join me in prayer? Father God, we thank you uh, for your word this morning, but more importantly, we thank you for the reason that is our hope, which is your son, Jesus Christ, that he came uh, to to us, to enter into our struggles, into our reality, uh, and not to uh, minimize them, but to conquer them. And that he extends that freely and graciously to all who would hear. And so we pray now that you would make us conduits of your goodness, your grace, your mercy, and of your hope, that we would be agents of hope who share your hope and uh, the hope that you've given so graciously to us with anyone that we encounter and that we would be uh, a force of hope in the world and a light to one another. We ask all this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.